Well, Happy New Year, everybody. How are you guys doing? Great to see you guys. Great to see you guys. I want to share, uh, before we dive in this morning, just want to share um, a little announcement um, with you guys. We'll give you more information um, in the weeks ahead, but we were um, just chatting as a staff um, this past week and uh, thought this would be a, a good time with the start of a new series to kind of share this with you guys. Um, about a year ago, um, our, our church, uh, myself, um, our, our church leadership board, um, we applied for a very prestigious grant through the Eli Lilly Foundation called the Clergy Renewal Grant. And it is, um, it is a highly competitive grant, probably about a thousand pastors and churches um, apply for this grant and they select uh, very few um, every year. And uh, what the grant involves is it um, covers fully um, a clergy sabbatical and also does some incredible stuff with the congregation as well, support for the congregation as well. Um, we found out at the start of the summer that we were a finalist um, for this grant, and um, we learned um, that we have been awarded um, the clergy renewal grant from the Lilly Foundation. So we're super excited about this. And uh, one of the first things that it's going to entail is we, we get to do four um, really awesome congregational events um, as part of this grant. And so our first one, I just want you to mark it in your calendar because we're going to be promoting it over the next few weeks. But I'd like for you to mark Friday, February 10th on your calendar, Friday, February 10th, because our entire church is going to be invited to go to the Maine Mariners hockey game free of charge. Um, they're going to put us center ice. Uh, we're going to get a chance to um, have one of our board members uh, interviewed on the Jumbotron. They're going to make it First Light South Portland Church of the Nazarene night. Um, and we're going to get to highlight the church and ministries like Life Essentials and our daycare. Um, our teens are going to get to run the some of the concession booths and be able to raise money for NYC um, and do some various things like that. Um, if you have kids, bring them out because they're going to send the mascot over into our section for pictures with your kids. And at the end of this um, event, we're even as an entire church going to be allowed to go out onto the ice for a church photo as well. So it's going to be really fun. And um, there's going to be a couple of these kinds of church community um, events that we're going to get to do both in 2023 and 2024 um, through the resources from this grant. And so I just want you to mark this first one on your calendar. We're going to have tickets in the back over the next couple weeks, and you can sign up for however many you'd like for your family and be able to get those. Um, and also, you know, support our teenagers that night um, as they continue to try to prepare for this NYC trip. So do you guys think you can help with that? Does that sound like fun? Awesome. Yep. And we're also going to talk about the importance of Sabbath care. So um, for, for me and my family, um, I've been in pastoral ministry for 22 years, and uh, this will be the first time that I'll have an opportunity to go on a sabbatical. I'm going to kind of make it two mini sabbaticals, um, a little bit in 2023 and a little bit in 2024. In 2023, I'm going to have the opportunity to take my entire family um, with my mom leading us to India for a couple weeks, which will be awesome. So the, the kids, the grandkids will get to learn a little bit about their heritage on that side of the family. I've been to India one time when I was three years old, so I have virtually no memories. <laughs> I remember an elephant and some fireworks. That's about it. So I'm really excited to learn a little bit. Um, this is something my dad had always wanted 
to do with us. And as his you know, health kind of deteriorated, it was uh, very difficult for him. But we're excited that mom's going to be taking us. We're going to see the Taj Mahal and um, some, some great things like that. And we'll be sure to send you guys video uh, while we're a part of that trip. Our district superintendent, Dr. Paul McPherson, and uh, Pastor TJ and Pastor Nancy are going to um, cover the weeks when, when I'm away. But we'll video chat in and send you guys some stuff so you'll hear about our adventures um, on this trip to India. So that's kind of one of the things that's going to be coming up um, in, in the next couple months that we want to let you guys know about. But again, uh, Happy New Year, everyone. And if you missed church last week, um, you must have, you know, really been, you know, partying or something on New Year's Eve, and uh, we're not able to... I do not know where TJ got that photo, but... Um, <laughs> But don't worry, because today we're beginning a brand new series called Playbook. Um, and this series is going to lead us right up to Super Bowl Sunday on February 12th. And I'm really excited about this series because over the next several weeks leading up to the Super Bowl, we're going to be talking about discovering God's playbook for our lives. And we're also going to kind of explore and unpack one of life's biggest questions. And I think we've all faced this question in life. I think we've all maybe had times in our life where we've wondered about it. Uh, maybe even had times where we've been frustrated over this question. Be because it's just one of those big things that most people wrestle with. And again, as a pastor for over 20 years now, this is one of the most frequent questions that I get asked as a pastor by people. So I think that when we reveal this question to you guys in a, in a few minutes, you're going to see why we thought it was a good idea to spend the next several weeks talking about it. But to kind of set up this question today, I thought it might be fun to tell you guys the context in which I was raised that ultimately led me to this question in my own life and in my own kind of search for an answer. As some of you know, um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, I was blessed with awesome parents who poured out unconditional love in my life. They taught me right and wrong. Um, they taught me to believe in God. But my parents immigrated to the United States from India. And their belief system uh, growing up in my household was Hinduism. But from a young age, um, they wanted me to be an American because, you see, I was the first in our family born in the United States. I was born in Washington, D.C. I grew up in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. And so my parents did a couple things a little different. They spoke English at home in front of me. Uh, we celebrated uh, American holidays. We celebrated Christmas and Easter, albeit it was Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny was the focus, but that's what we celebrated. And they were even open to me exploring questions of faith. And in middle school, uh, my best friend, whose name was Mike Teeter, uh, he became a follower of Jesus. And he started inviting me to come to church with him at, at a little church near my house called Melwood Church of the Nazarene in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, less than a mile away from my home. In fact, I could ride my bike there. And pretty soon, uh, under the leadership of a very loving and very wise pastor named Pastor Neil McPherson, I, I learned about a God who actually loved me and cared about my life and cared about my future. 
a heavenly father who loved me so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to be my savior. And a few years after I started attending this church, when I was um, at about the age of 13, a freshman in high school, um, I became a Christian. I made that decision to cross that line of faith and receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. And I became part of this larger Christian family. And there were more people that I began to get to know and, and connect with, uh, people who started to pour into me and mentor me in my life and became very influential people to me. One person in particular was a man by the name of Dr. Jerry Porter. Um, you guys remember maybe Dr. Porter, who came and was our, our faith promise um, speaker a couple years ago. Um, but Dr. Porter was a, a pastor. He was a missionary. And at the time, he was our district superintendent on the Washington District, now called the Mid-Atlantic District. And his kids were around my age. I was the same age as his son. His daughter was a couple years older than me, but um, we kind of attended the same school in college. And, and when he learned... Uh, about my story and how I started coming to church and how I became a Christian, um, it caught his attention. And he began to pour into my life wisdom and counsel. He invested in me. And, and whenever he would see me, because I attended a Bible study at his house with his kids, um, he would come up to me and he would say, AJ, God has a great plan for your life. Don't you ever forget that. He's got a great plan for your life. And he would say it with such love and with such sincerity, God has a great plan for your life, for your future. And I, I, was, a, I was a young Christian. I was a teenager, but I constantly grew up hearing that over and over and over again. And guess what, church? I started to believe it. I started to believe it. And so that's my childhood. But as I got older, um, I hit some different stages of life. And those life stages began to generate some new questions within me. For example, as I finished up my senior year of high school, I began to wonder, what am I going to do after this? Well, what's the next step? Am I going to go to college? If so, which college? What am I going to study? What's the field? What career? And God, if you're up there and you got this great plan for my life, I believe you got a great plan for my life, how do I figure out what it is? And ultimately, I found myself as a freshman in college at the University of Maryland, and I sat down with somebody one day called a college advisor. You might remember a similar situation in your life where this person, a college advisor, they kind of sat me down and they said, Mr. Vias, what is your major going to be? And the funny thing about that question is they actually thought I knew the answer. I mean, I was 18 years old. I didn't have a clue what I really wanted to do in life. I always thought life was supposed to get easier when you were an adult. And now it just felt more complicated, right? Now I had, you know, school decisions and career decisions and relationship decisions and financial decisions and all kinds of complicated decisions that just kept coming my way. And they seemed to get more and more complicated. And so I began to ask the question, okay, God, if you're really there and you have this great plan for my life, 
How do I figure it out? How do I know what those plans are? And as I went through that stage of life, I began to experience something. I began to experience that finding God's plan for my life seemed more like a mystery than a certainty. It seemed like God was a whole lot more silent than he was vocal. If I can use a football analogy, because we're kind of theming this series a little bit with football, with the Super Bowl coming up. But if I can use a football analogy, it was as if I was a quarterback in the Super Bowl on the football field of life, and I had to make a critical play in the fourth quarter with two minutes left. I had to make a game-changing decision. I either had to go this way or that way. I either had to scramble or I had to throw the ball. But I didn't feel confident. And I didn't feel qualified. And I sure wish that I had a Hall of Fame coach talking in the earpiece in my helmet to give me some input, to tell me what to do, to tell me what move to make. And I wanted God to be that coach in my life. I wanted to follow his playbook, but I couldn't hear him calling the play in my helmet. And it was as if, for whatever reason, even though I knew that God has all the answers, and even though I knew that he has this incredible playbook called the Bible, I just couldn't quite hear what he wanted me to do or figure it out. God, is it this college or that college? God, is it this job or that job? God, is it this relationship I should pursue or should I wait? So I began to wonder, well, if there is a God and God has a great plan for my life, why does it feel so hard to figure it out? Why does it seem like it's such a mystery? And then I would take time in my devotions and I would be reading my Bible and it seemed like God was talking all the time in the Bible. I mean, he told Noah to build an ark, right? He spoke to Moses in a burning bush. Joseph, who we talked about a couple weeks ago, he was given dreams and the ability to interpret them. Gideon was called a mighty warrior by God, told what to do. David was anointed king as a little kid, and God sent prophets to tell him what God wanted. The apostles literally got to hang out with Jesus every day. How many of you would like to get to hang out with Jesus every day and ask him what to do and for him to give you an answer, right? Wouldn't that be flipping amazing? And here I am thinking, hello, God, are you there? Am I doing something wrong here? It was kind of this frustrating mystery. Now, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you find yourself at a crossroads in life today. Maybe it's about school. Maybe it's about your future. Maybe it's about a career option. And you feel like it's, it's maybe this job or maybe it's this job. And you kind of look up and go, God, which one should I take? I don't want to make a mistake here. Maybe it's a relationship. God, should I pursue this or do I need to end this? And I think we've all been there. I know we're all at different stages of life. I mean, we've got teenagers and college students in the room this morning. We've got grandparents and great-grandparents in the room this morning. So we're at different life stages with different questions. But, but I think if you roll up all the questions, I think you could put them under the banner 
of kind of one overarching question. You might use different words. You might use a different context. But in essence, I think the question that we all have from time to time kind of sounds like, like this. God, what are your plans for my life? What are your plans for my life? God, what is your will for my life? God, if you're really out there, if you really exist, and if you really have a great plan for my life and for my future, how do I go about finding out what those plans are? So, having said all that, let me tell you the premise and the promise of this series. The premise of this series is that Dr. Jerry Porter was absolutely correct that there is a God and that that God has an incredible plan for your life. That's the premise. And the promise of this series is this, that at the end of the next several weeks, we're going to equip you to understand how to find God's plan for your life. If you'll stick with us throughout this series over the next several weeks, we're going to help equip you to answer this big question in the new year. That's where we're going in this series. Because I couldn't think of a better way to start 2023 than that. Because you know what? In, in the last couple of years, we have seen many people in this church become followers of Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we're all looking for what our next step is going to be. We say that a lot around here. We say that we want to be a church where change takes place. In fact, that's, that's the big vision that we have for our church, for First Light South Portland Church, that we want to be a church, we want to be a community where people don't just come and sit in rows and walk out of here and go back to business as usual. We want to be a place where change takes place. And that's why one of our five core values is this, and maybe if you know it, you can help me out with it, but we believe that changed people what? Change. They don't stay the same. We believe that changed people change. Now, to get there, I, I think the best place to start is actually with God, because I, I think God can look you know, at us and look at all of our uncertainty and our confusion over this issue, and, and I think he might stop and he might wonder, well, what's all the confusion about? Because I think God could argue rather successfully that he's really clear in the Bible about what his will is for your life and for my life. So what I did in, in preparation for our time together today is I simply did a Google search for God's will in the Bible, and, and I tried to look at all the different verses in the Bible that had anything to do with, with God's will. And I would encourage you to maybe do this on your own if you want to. Just, just do a Google search and look up God's will in the Bible. And if you did, I, I think that what you would come up with would be a list very similar to mine, and we'll put the list up on the screen. But according to the Bible, this is God's will for your life. Let's look at it. God's will for your life is to pray without ceasing, give thanks in everything, rejoice always, submit to authorities, avoid sexual immorality, be saved, understand salvation, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is God's will for your life. Any questions? All right, we can just end the series and pray right now and go home, right? 
Now, why can't we do that? Why can't we say, have a nice day, see you guys next week? Well, because while this is a pretty good list and a pretty accurate list about God's will in Scripture, I think we can all agree that there's something about this list that's a little bit emotionally unsatisfying, right? Because for for many of us, the problem with this list, it seems like God is answering some of our very specific questions about what do I do in life, God, which way do I go? God is answering our very specific questions with these broad general answers and general moral platitudes. So what do we take away from that? What are we to conclude? Are we to conclude that God really isn't interested in the details and minutia of our life? Is that what we're supposed to conclude from these verses of Scripture? Well, here's the good news. The good news is that God does care about the details of your life. That even the things that you might think are insignificant... God's invested in, and he cares about what's going on. In fact, he is supremely interested in the details of your life. But the reason there's confusion over this is that maybe we've never understood God's answer to the question, God, what should I do with my life? Maybe we've allowed the uncertainties and the pressures of life to distract us from God's fundamental answer to this question. In fact, let, let me explain it to you with another football analogy. If you're a football fan, you probably know that one of the greatest coaches in the history of football was a guy by the name of Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi coached the Green Bay Packers to the very first two Super Bowl championships. And the Super Bowl trophy, which looks very much like the trophy that's right in front of me right now, is actually named after him. So at the end of the Super Bowl, when they give the winner the trophy, it is called the Vince Lombardi Trophy. And what Vince Lombardi would do on the very first day of practice, each and every season, even with his championship football teams, he had this little ritual to start the season. And he would get all his guys together. And you got to understand, these are players who are now in the Hall of Fame. These were levels, athletes were at the highest level of performance in their era, in their day and age. Hall of Fame players like quarterback Bart Starr and Paul Horning. But on the very first day of practice, Vince Lombardi would gather together this star-studded team, and he would go, okay, gentlemen, I've got some very important things to share with you on this very first day of practice. And he would pull out a football. And he would say, gentlemen, I need your full attention right here. Because this is critically, critically important. Gentlemen, this is a football. You see, it has laces on one side. And if you hold it properly and throw it the right way, you can make a spiral in the air. And when you punt it, because of its oblong shape, it might bounce in weird directions and in different ways. And so what I want you to do, and he would hand it to the first player, he's like, I want you to pass it around. I want everybody to really get a hold of it. And I want all of you to really feel it. I want you to feel the football. And as you do this, I'm going to tell you some more specifics about football. And I'm sure his quarterback, Bart Starr, was there thinking, of course I know it's a football. 
I threw 35 touchdown passes last year when we won the Super Bowl. I don't understand. But here's what Coach Lombardi was doing. He was saying in the next few days, in the next few weeks, we're going to draw up some diagrams. And we're going to get together some plays. We're going to come up with a playbook that I'm going to give you as your coach. And these plays in this playbook are designed to lead us to another championship. But if you don't understand the fundamentals, if you don't understand the basics of the game, there's going to be a gap in our communication and you won't understand what we're trying to do and where we're trying to go. So first, we've got to understand the basics of the game. And so that's where we're going today. Where we're going is that God is going to share with us the fundamental answer, the basic answer to the question, God, what is your plan for my life? God, what is your will for my life? And it's so great that God is able to actually do this in about three and a half verses of Scripture. In three and a half sentences, it found in, in one of my favorite books in the New Testament, it's the book of Colossians, God unpacks the basic answer to the question, God, how do I find out your plan for my life, your will for my life? So if you have your Bible with you or your Bible app on your phone, go ahead and you can take those out now and we're going to dive into a passage in Colossians chapter 3. You can go ahead and bookmark that, Colossians chapter 3. And this is a very short but very powerful book in the Bible. And, and one of the great things about this book is that it talks about the importance of Jesus in a very, very powerful way. And we're going to, again, we're going to look at four verses today, three and a half sentences really is all we're going to look at today, beginning in Colossians 3, verse 1. So you guys ready to dive in? Here we go. Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things, what? Above. So, okay, don't forget this. The writer of Colossians, anyone know who it is? The Apostle Paul, that's correct. So Paul is writing this letter, okay? And it's now in our Bible, it's the book of Colossians. And he is inspired, as he's writing, he's being inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And he's leading us to this great answer. And he's saying, since then, since you have begun to understand who Jesus really is, set your heart on things above. Have you ever had one of those days in your life where life was just a pain in the neck? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever had just one of those days or maybe one of those seasons where you're perpetually hearing in your mind the soundtrack, had a bad day? Like that's just running through your mind? You know the song I'm talking about? Because you had a bad day, you take one down, you sing a sad song just to turn it Yeah, that one right there, okay? Like that's your life soundtrack that's just playing in your mind. Well, well, here's what happens. Whenever life sucks for a day, for a week, for a month, for a season, and your shoulders kind of slump, and your head kind of drops, and you begin to get consumed and stressed out with all the pressures and uncertainties and anxieties and the realities that you are facing in life at that moment, which is understandable, by the way. 
because we've all been there. It's part of the human condition. But, but the reason it's important is that God is sharing with us through Paul. He's trying to communicate with us. He's trying to say, hey, I understand that reality. I understand the reality of you had a bad day. But you need to look up. You need to lift your head up. Not deny your reality. That's not what God is saying. But you need to look up because there's a greater reality than the one that you're living. You need to set your heart on something that's above. Above where? He continues in the verse. Since then, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, this phrase, right hand of God, is a power phrase in Scripture, which shows up at other places in the Bible, and basically it means that all power and all authority in heaven and earth has been given to one man, has been given to one person, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul writes, set your heart there. And as you do, Paul says, I'm going to lead you to a very powerful place and a very powerful truth. So lift up your head. Look up. And then he writes three rather intriguing words in verse 3. He says this, for you died. Now, this is interesting. Because we would think that if we would have died, no one would have had to tell us that, right? That we would have been able to figure that out. That's interesting. A little confusing. What is Paul getting at? What is Paul trying to say here? Let me share a quick story with you that happened in the life of Jesus. It happened to a guy by the name of Lazarus. And the bad news for Lazarus, the bad day for Lazarus, is he got sick and he died. The good news for Lazarus is that he had a close friend, and his name was Jesus. And Jesus is bigger than death. And so Jesus shows up days after Lazarus has died. And he's already sealed in a tomb with a big stone in front, and they're doing a funeral service. And Jesus goes to the mourners at the funeral, and he says, roll away the stone from the front of the tomb. And there's a funny verse in scripture where it says like, Jesus, we don't want to do that because he stinketh, okay? He's been dead for a while. It is not going to smell good if we roll that away. And Jesus is like, I'm not listening. Roll away the stone. And then Jesus says three words, Lazarus, come forth. And my dude Lazarus comes back from the dead. Not walking dead zombie, people running and screaming, coming back from the dead. He came back fully healed and fully alive. And so as you can imagine, suddenly, overnight, Lazarus has become a rock star, right? He's become famous. And everybody wants to talk with him. I mean, Oprah wants to talk with him. Dr. Phil, Sean Hannity, Anderson Cooper, the ladies from The View, they all want an interview with Lazarus. Everybody is excited. Nobody has ever seen this before in their entire lives. A dead man has come back to life. Everybody's excited. 
except for one group of people. Except for one group of people. One group that was very bothered by this. The religious leaders. This is the same group of people that was running around saying, don't listen to Jesus, he's a fake. He's a false prophet, a false messiah, don't listen to him. See, it's kind of hard to think that Jesus is a fake when you go to a guy's funeral, Jesus shows up, and you see the guy shopping at Walmart the next day, right? And all of a sudden, people are thinking, Jesus just raised that guy from the dead. I think I'm going to start listening to Jesus, right? Like all of us would have probably thought the same thing. And so this starts driving the religious leaders nuts. So they hatch a plot. They get so upset that they basically decide, here's what we're going to do. We're going to kill Lazarus again. So word begins to spread. And eventually, somebody comes to Lazarus and says, hey, Lazarus, I know you just came back from the dead and everything, but you might want to sit down and listen to this news. I got something to tell you. I don't know how to break this to you, but the religious leaders are so upset that Jesus brought you back from the dead, they're planning to kill you. To which Lazarus would have responded, been there, done that, not that big of a deal to me. Right? Like, bring it on. Here's my point. Do you think the same things that stressed out and worried Lazarus the first time around in life were the same things that stressed him out and worried him the second time around? Do you think that Lazarus allowed life to be a pain in the neck and to have a bad day on a constant basis? Or do you think that he now lived with a new vision on life, a vision on something greater? Here's my belief. My belief is that Lazarus lived life on a higher plane with deeper joy, with greater hope, and with greater significance because he no longer feared death. And he now lived life lifting up his head and lifting up his eyes towards his Savior, Jesus. He died to the things of the world, and he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, he knew that he knew that he knew that he had a very real and tangible connection between him and the creator of the universe. He knew that Jesus was his friend forever. He knew that he had a personal relationship with the Savior of the world. He died to the things of the world because the world was now too small for him as his God grew bigger and bigger and bigger. And what Paul, I think, is getting at is that when you start to understand who Jesus really is and the potential that he has for your life, you will actually start to change and you will actually start to live life the way Lazarus did the second time around. Because there is greater hope and greater potential and greater significance available to you when you can lift up your head and when you start to focus your life on Jesus. And then Paul plays this out a little further in verse 3. He says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then God inspires Paul 
to write the next six words. And the next six words cannot be overstated, church. The next six words that Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write are six of the most powerful words, I believe, in human history. The next six words are six of the most important words that you might hear your entire life. In fact, these words, they don't even make up a complete sentence. They're just half a sentence. Ellen might get, you know, bothered by the grammar of this next sentence, okay? But they're so powerful. And the reason they're powerful is because it leads us to this question that all of us kind of wrestle with in life from time to time. God, what is your plan for my life. God, what is your will for my life? And this is what Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. This is a late Christmas gift to you and to me this morning. It says this, when Christ, who is your life? When Christ, who is your life? What does that mean, Paul? Here's what it means. Let's go back to our question that we kicked the series off with. Here's the question again. God, what are your plans for my life? God, what are your plans for my life? God, what should I do with my life? God's answer to that question is simply this. I am your life. I am your life. It's me. I am your life. And the reason that you have so much confusion with this, the reason that we think it's such a mystery, the reason we think that God is silent and he's not answering our questions and we wish he was more vocal is because here's what we've done. We think of God as a component in our life. We got our school and we got our job and we got our relationships and we have our hopes and our dreams for the future and our homes and our cars and our vacation plans and all of these things. And then we're going to sprinkle a little bit of God as some seasoning on top of all that. I mean, I go to church occasionally. I read my Bible sometimes. I serve some. Isn't that great? So God, will you bless all the other important things in my life? Because you're God, and that would be great to have your blessing in all these other areas. And God is like, I don't want to be seasoning in your life. I don't want to just be a component of your life. I want to be your life. And when you understand who he is and where he wants to lead you, you will understand the question, God, what should I do with my life? What is your will for my life? What are your plans for my life? See, for true followers of Jesus, the focus of their lives is not their future plans. The focus of their lives is a person. The focus of their lives is Jesus. And by focusing on Jesus, Jesus leads them to the future that he has for them. That's how you find God's plan for your life. The ultimate focus of your life and my life should be a person. Because when you focus and when I focus on Jesus, he leads us to the greater plans and the greater future that he has for us. And the incredible gift is that when you and I start to understand that truth, we can start to live with incredible peace through the process through whatever it is that you're enduring in life, whatever uncertainty, whatever anxiety you face, whatever stress or crisis, 
there is an unmistakable and unexplainable peace that surpasses all understanding that people would look at your life and they would go, gosh, how could you be carrying around such peace while you're going through that? And you'd go, well, you see, God's not a component of my life. He is my life. Now, you might hear that today and you might say, okay, AJ, that's easy for you to say in church on a Sunday morning. But what about Monday when life starts again? That's a great question. And to help you answer that question, what, what I would like to do is I'd like to bring out an old friend of mine on the screens that you may have not seen for a while. But like me, maybe this was a friend of yours in your childhood. Maybe when you went to a baseball game, you met this old friend of yours. Let me see if any of you remember this guy. Do you guys remember this guy, Mr. Crackerjack? Raise your hand if you remember Mr. Crackerjack. Okay, a lot of you do. Awesome. Um, Cracker Jack is awesome. As a kid, my dad would take me to Memorial Stadium to see Cal Ripken and Eddie Murray and the Baltimore Orioles play, or the Cap Center to watch the Washington Capitals, or RFK Stadium to see the Washington Redskins. Don't judge me, Patriot fans. I mean, what other football team was a little Indian kid going to root for growing up in D.C., Okay. And I don't even have that team anymore, so I digress. But my dad would take me to these games, and I would always go to a sporting event like that, and I would want a box of Cracker Jack. I mean, what's not to love, right? Caramel, popcorn, peanuts. It's awesome. Awesome. But I had an ulterior motive as to why I wanted a box of Cracker Jacks. Because there was something even better in a box of Cracker Jack. Do you guys remember what it was? What was inside? A prize, that's right. And as a little kid, you wanted that prize at the bottom. Sometimes I would open up the box upside down just to be able to get that prize first. Here's the deal with the Cracker Jack box. Each and every one was produced and then sent out to a distribution factory, like a warehouse to be stored. And at some point it sat in that warehouse for a while, and then it left that distribution center, and it would go to a retail store or off in a sports stadium until someone would buy it and put it in the hand of a lucky little kid. But the whole time, that Cracker Jack box was waiting in a warehouse or at a store or on a shelf at the stadium. The whole time, there was something waiting Inside that box, a very special prize just waiting inside to come out. Now, did you know that in a very real way, this reflects God's will for your life? And here's how. Did you know that when you enter into a personal relationship with Jesus, that the Bible teaches us that God places a very special prize inside of each and every one of you. And that prize is his Holy Spirit, the spirit of the living God. There's a prize inside of you, which means that just like the Cracker Jack box, wherever you go, if you're a follower of Jesus, and let me just say, if you're here today or if you're watching online and you're not a follower of Jesus, we are thrilled 
that you are joining us this morning. But this is just another one of the gazillion reasons why you need to understand who Jesus is and how much he loves you and how incredible his invitation is for your life. Because scripture teaches that as a follower of Jesus, wherever you go, whatever storm or struggle in life you might face, you have a prize living inside of you. And maybe you've heard that God loves you. And that's absolutely true. God loves you. Maybe you've heard that God is for you. That is also true. Our God is for you. But maybe you've never heard that God is actually living inside of you. And when you understand that incredible truth, when you start to understand that God's plan for your life is not something way off in the distant future somewhere, but God's plan for your life starts right here, right now, inside of you, wherever you go on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or throughout the week, whatever you face in life, you carry a prize inside of you, with you. And if you realize that, you can start to let God be the God of your world, of your everyday, of your everything. And here's the promise from God. As you do that, as you focus on Jesus and as you focus on the prize of the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, God begins to ultimately lead you to the greater plans and the greater future that he has for you. In fact, the book of Colossians says it way better than I can. It's, it says this. This is the last verse we're going to look at this morning, but it says this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And there's, there's a song called Be My Everything, and, and these are lyrics in that song. Christ in you, Christ in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Be my everything. God's plan for your life is to simply understand that truth, that he is in you, that he is with you, that he is doing life with you, and that he is your everything. And if you stay focused on him and you let that prize within you come out, it'll change your life. And I know what you might be thinking. Well, well AJ, that might be true, but look, I got some big decisions that are looming I got some very specific decisions I need to make, and I need some answers. And we're going to address all of that over the course of this series, over the next several weeks. But we can't start there. Like Vince Lombardi, we have to start with the basics of the playbook if we're going to understand, truly understand, God's will for our lives. And the basics are that as a follower of Jesus, God isn't a part of your life. He is your life. He is your life. He's the prize living inside you. And if you focus on him, if you lift up your head and lift your eyes up, he will lead you to the greater plans he has for you. Now, my wife, Julie, and I, we, we have five awesome kids Cassidy is our youngest daughter. She's 14 now. But I remember about a decade ago when she was around four, Cassidy made a statement that I don't think I'll ever forget. And I, I think it kind of leads to where I want to end today. Um, Julie and I had taken the kids out to eat at Red Robin, which was one of their favorite places. Any of you guys like Red Robin? Any Red Robin Yum fans out there? Yeah, some of you guys. Okay. 
So we, we had taken her out to Red Robin, and uh, we're sitting around. I was just, you know, goofing around with my daughter, and I said to my four-year-old, Casty, I said, hey, Casty, I got a question for you, sweetheart. And if you can answer this question correctly, there might be a Red Robin milkshake in it for you. And so she was very interested at that point. And she said, sure, Daddy. And I said, here's my question. Who do you love more, mommy or me? Now, in hindsight, I admit that was a terrible, terrible question to ask a four-year-old. Just so you know, this is not a parenting series, so don't follow my example on this one, okay? I was young and foolish back then as a parent. And so Julie throws me a dirty look, and then she kind of smiles because she realizes that I'm playing around. And uh, she looks at Cassie, and she's like, Cassie, Daddy forgot his wallet, but Mommy has hers, so why don't you answer that question? Who do you like better? Mommy's the best, right? And we're laughing, and we're going back and forth trying to convince her who the best parent is. And Cassie's just kind of looking at us, probably thinking, dear Lord, these are my two parents. What do I do? But finally, Cassie looks at us, and she says, I won't forget this, she said, I love God the most because God made mommy and God made daddy and God made me. Wow, right? And I was like, Cass, that is a great answer. That is a great answer. Now, I know that many of you have decisions in life that maybe are looming. I know that you have stress and anxiety and uncertainty especially in these days that we live in. But would you be willing, here's my challenge for you, would you be willing for the next seven days to simply go with God? To simply go with God. Will you stop trying to figure out and control every aspect of your future as if you actually could anyway? I think the reason some of us are so exhausted is we spend so much time trying to control our future. Would you be willing for the next seven days to shift your focus from your future onto your Savior? Would you be willing to do that? And here's how I'd like for you to do that. I want you to simply rest in the truth of who Jesus is. Would you simply look up when you're feeling stressed, when you're feeling anxious? Would you simply look up and understand that there is a prize living inside of you And would you rest in that truth? See, after you shift your focus from your future onto your Savior, it actually changes the whole question that we've been trying to unpack today. It changes the question from God, what are your plans for my life? To God, what should I do with your life living in me? Instead of God... What are you going to do? What are your plans for my life? Instead, you're saying, God, what should I do with your life that's living inside of me? And that is a far more significant, far more powerful, far greater question to ask. God, what should I do with your life that's within me? Because that's where we're going in this series. But before we get there, Again, here's what I want you to do. I want you to rest this week in knowing that God loves you, that God is for you, that God has great plans for you, 
and that the God of the universe is living inside you. Will you just simply rest in that truth that God isn't a part of your life, that he is your life. He is the plan for you. That's your challenge. Can we pray this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed? Heavenly Father, I, I know this message, I know this series is gonna land in so many different places for the people in this room today. Again, we've got middle school students, high school students, college students in here. We've got singles, we've got married couples, we've got couples with young kids, older kids, we've got grandparents, we've got great-grandparents. We've got a, a broad spectrum of people who are part of our church family. But God, I just pray that today you would give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard from this powerful teaching by the Apostle Paul. And that God, you would give us the courage to be people willing to change, to make a course correction, to not just be people who come and sit in some rows for an hour on a Sunday morning and walk out of here unchanged, but that we would take this truth and start to apply it into our lives so that we truly can step into the greater plans that you have for the future. God, help us to look up put our eyes on Jesus and to realize that you're the God who loves us, you're the God who's for us, and you're the God who by the power of your Holy Spirit wants to live inside of us. Be our everything. We pray this today in your son's name, in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. As the worship team kind of leads us in song as we close today, I want to invite you to stand and to join us in singing. And again, as always, the altars are open. If you've got some business to deal with and you need to come and you just need to lay something down here, maybe you need to come to an altar this morning and you need to say, God, be my everything. Help me put my eyes on you with whatever I'm facing in life that I'm distracted with. Let me put my eyes on you. You're welcome to do that. Let's sing together. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day my story this is my song praising my Savior all the day long perfect submission 
shall we? Gracious Lord, thank you for this message and this great reminder of, of who you are and who we belong to. And, and Lord, that we can rest in the knowledge of your love for us. We can trust the one who holds us by the hand. Lord, thank you for being our God who indwells us, whose great power lives in us every day. Lord, I pray that as we go into our week, Lord, that we would just go forth in the knowledge that we do not go alone <laughs> and that you strengthen us for each step of our day. I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do and for the peace that we can have knowing that you are ours and we are yours. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Have a great week, everyone. God bless. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Praising my Savior. Praising my Savior.